Welcome to our second season of Shooting the Breeze. This time, we're casting our net wider. We're going to be talking to inspiring athletes, amazing coaches, and behind-the-scenes trailblazers from across the women's basketball landscape. As we start the run-up to another WNBL season and the FIBA Women's World Cup being held right here in Sydney, this is a great time to be a fan of Australian women's basketball. Don't forget to subscribe and be the first to know when we have more Hoops goodness headed your way. It is hard. You go on this massive whirlwind because, you know, we were so fortunate to actually go to the Olympics in a COVID year and just to be picked in the team is always really tough. And then to get there and not perform how we wanted to, it's always heartbreaking and you, you evaluate everything you did and what we could have done better and it's hard. But that's the reason why we love sport because it is really hard and it is tough to win and it's a magical sport at times, but it also can be very heartbreaking. Joining us on Shooting the Breeze this week is Opals and UC Cap stalwart Mariana Tolo. Just back from Tokyo, we had the opportunity to talk about the Olympics, the highs and the lows of a challenging campaign and the enduring legacy of the Australian Opals. Tolo gives us an insight into the plans for her future, how that Puerto Rico game was an example of Opals grit, and on a lighter note, she takes us inside Olympics Village life and how a one-hour bus ride let DJs Kayla and Sarah keep the team pumped by spinning the beats. Lots to unpack in episode 40 as we share 40 Minutes with Tolo. Welcome to this episode of Shooting the Breeze. Joining us today is Mariana Tolo from Japan, fresh into Sydney. Mariana, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, we're really good. And can and- we just confirm it's pronounced Tolo and not too low? Yeah, definitely Tolo, not too low. Did you hear about that? I did, and I watched the game afterwards and and heard it as well. (laughs) (laughs) If it was annoying me, I'm sure it was annoying everyone else in the world. Yes, can confirm it was annoying, (laughs) yes. And there was another one, was it? No, Levy? No. Oh, there was another one I kept annoying. Oh, there was a Tessie one game. Um. There was Mad Gen one game, oh. and there was Matibible another game. Oh yeah, and Ezzy was Macbegger. Macbegger, oh. yeah. Macbegger. <laughs> yeah. And did you hear in one game she kept calling Serbia Siberia? <laughs> no, I missed no. that one. No. no. Wow. That's the tip of the iceberg. That one. <laughs> okay, so. Welcome back to Australia, and you've uh, joined most of Sydney in lockdown. Um, How is it coming back and having to do this 14-day thing? To be honest, the first day when we first got in the hotel and rushed upstairs in the elevator, and then next thing I knew it was like open door, close the door, and that's it, and that was a bit of a shock to the system. I was like, well, this is me for the next two weeks, and it all happened so quickly in the end after we got off the bus, but... After that initial shock of it all, it's been really good, actually. I think the AOC have done a tremendous amount of work to put together a quarantine program with lots of different programs and entertainments and little uh, courses and that sort of thing that we can choose to follow in with if we would like. And so I've done a few of those. It's been really great. And then the mantra here at the hotel has been really accommodating and have, you know, the food's been really good which is what I was worried about uh, a little bit after seeing some of the photos 
that uh, some people have had in quarantine. But yeah, it's been great here. That's fantastic. And how are you feeling now that the prep and the intensity of the games is over? Mm, Yeah, initially the first day was tough as well in that sense, in that you start like revisiting it all again. I guess we were lucky in the sense that, you know, it'd been a couple of days since we'd played before we travelled. And so I thought, uh, you know, reviewed and thought about the game a lot more before we got here but it is hard you go on this massive whirlwind because you know we were so fortunate to actually go to the olympics in a covid year and just to be picked in the team is always really tough and then to get there and not perform how we wanted to it's always heartbreaking and you you evaluate everything you did and what we could have done better and it's hard but that's the reason why we love sport because it is really hard and it is tough to win and it's a magical sport at times, but it also can be very heartbreaking. But it's also been a great chance for me to evaluate that and kind of start to look forward as well. I had a great chat with my brother the other day and he was like, okay, so what's your plans next? And he was really great in driving that and going, what are you going to do over the next couple of years? For me, I've only probably got around three years left. I reckon I'll try and go to the next Olympics. And then after that, um, call it a day and have family and, and settle down and stuff. So at least now I know that there's like a light at the end of the tunnel and that's what I'm working towards. And I got to give everything for the next three years. And so it's been interesting to be able to think about that and, and how I can go in with a focus for these next three years. That's cool. your outlook as well, having a three-year plan with your playing career and trying to fit in, you know, the balance of a different side of your lifestyle as well. But remember, you got worlds in between too. Is that a delivery that you're getting, a knock on the door? Oh, sorry, that's just my door. It's oh. a delivery. <laughs> I was like, do you need to get that? Is that important? <laughs> See, the door knocked and it interrupted the Wi-Fi. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's probably um, my Wi-Fi. Yeah, it's uh, not having a good time. <sighs> I got a bit worried when I was like, oh, maybe I asked the wrong question, but it was the internet connection. <laughs> okay. better? Yeah, okay. It's much better for me. Now you actually, I can hear you. <laughs> okay, no worries. So you've got a three-year plan leading up to the next Olympics, which will potentially be your last Olympics, um, yep. but you've got the World Championships in between. So yeah. yeah, especially after, you know, you've just finished this one Opals campaign, what's your personal focus towards the World Championships? Yeah, look, I think it's great that we have the World Championships um, next year and it means that time is going to go really quickly, the three years. Like I have this season in France, which will go until June next year and then having World Champs in September, that year is going to go quickly. Then before I know it, it'll be only two years left. So I'm going to have to make the most of every chance I get. And so I think the European lead-in for me will be great preparation because I love playing in Europe. I think it's really good for my style of basketball and how I play, and it'll be great preparation um, leading into the world champs. I'm going to have to make the team again. Um, I'm sure there'll be a big new squad announced soon, and it's always a challenge to make the Opals team. And so... I'll be doing everything to put my best foot forward um, to make the team. And then come World Championship time, I think it'll be a good chance for us in this next year to kind of 
find our identity and who we are and how we can play and get some preparation time together because I think that's kind of what hurt us a little bit at this Olympics is that in the end we didn't have much time to prepare just as one little team unit. So not having that preparation time, in comparison to previous campaigns, how did you guys find it when you actually were really sort of spending a lot of time together in the lead up to the Olympics? Yeah, like I think after when we played that US game, I thought, you know, we felt like we were playing really good and we had a good sense of how we could play and how we could compete against and with each other. And then when it got to the Olympics, it kind of, I don't know what it was or or where it came from, but we lost that sense a little bit. And I think that's when it came down to preparation time together and having practices where we felt good going in and practice games. We were due to play a few more games in Tokyo when we got there and because of the COVID situation there, we couldn't. So that really hurt us, I think. But so for next preparation, having as much time together as possible will be great because in years past when we've been able to go overseas and play European teams, it's been the biggest advantage for us and you can kind of figure out what we go to when times are tough or um, who matches up well against what kind of players and who we can go to in tough times as well. And so I think having that experience as much as possible is beneficial and that's why it's great for the European teams because they had, you know, Eurobasket just before the Olympics and they could figure a lot of stuff out there, whereas Australia were kind of very isolated. There's not much going on um, on our side of the world. Yeah. But that's important for us to find ways to deal with that and get overseas if we can or to get practice games against different teams. And so that will be really important leading into this World Championships. I think the parts about the preparation you just talked about then that were most important, that all that stood out the most to me was how you mentioned you need to know what to do when. Like it's not so much being able to gel as a team and work out your combos. It's kind of like if you're in certain game situations, you know, who's our go-to, what's our go-to combination, what's the go-to offense we're going to run. Like that's having those extra cards up your sleeve that it looks like you didn't have and it also read to us that it was almost like you were still working it out as you were going. And as you mentioned, that's the kind of stuff that you want to work out in your prep before you get there. For sure. I think that's really accurate. And that's what it comes down to. And that comes down to time, time together, practicing, playing. Um, and then you can kind of start to work out those little wrinkles. It's not changing the whole thing, the whole system, but it's like the little bits and pieces that you add in and they add up. When you put them all together, um, it makes a big difference for sure. Did your role change much, you know, in the preparation versus when you got to Tokyo? Oh, for sure. Like, you know, in preparation, I would have been sitting behind Liz Cambridge. So I wasn't going to be playing many minutes at all. And then when Liz, you know, didn't end up coming to the Olympics, then that meant my role was much, much more important. Not that it wasn't important before, but it meant that I would just play a lot more minutes. And so in a sense, it did in that sense, just time on court, but then I still needed to bring everything that I always bring. And that is like defensive pressure and intensity and that inside presence that, you know, we don't have otherwise. Yeah, I think one of the things that when we were looking at the games and and sort of having a talk about them after the games was it seemed to come from all the adjustments. The team seemed to be one step out of sync. Like you'd see 
passes go, and you could tell the pass was going to a particular point on the court. The receiver was just like one step short, or it just seemed that because of the the amount of adjustment that needed to happen with, you know, Liz dropping out, Sarah coming in, having Steph with the injury, it created a lot of last minute adjustment that really was making it difficult for the team to gel. For sure. And like you take Liz out of the picture, she's a big centerpiece of that where we would just throw it inside and she'd go to work and get 40 points a game. When that gets taken away, you become more reliant on your offense. You become more reliant on your sets. And then when we weren't exactly like linked in on the exact same page, like you were saying, just a little bit behind or a little bit off with our timing or our screens or, you know, those little things, it made a difference and it made it a lot harder. And then, yeah, like you said, having Steph Talbot missing for a lot was a big hit for us. She she was an important part offensively as well as defensively. She's been playing so well and to not have her presence on court was tough as well. Yeah, i, I got to be honest. I think all things considered, the team really did well considering the, the adversity. I mean, I know it wasn't the result that everybody was expecting, but that was a big hill to climb. Hmm. It's it's so tough because you can't you start going like what if what if we didn't lose to China by two points what if someone made two free throws what if you got an offensive board and a put back and it's so many times that it could be those little things that it makes it hard to kind of deal with and it questions you know everything that you've done and and whatever happened in the game but I think you're right in a sense in that. We could walk away in the end saying we did our tough thing to beat Puerto Rico by more than 25 points when the pressure was really on. And then to back up and play the US was really, really tough and always going to be a challenge. We obviously weren't quite ready for it yet. Speaking of Puerto Rico, what was your mentality going into that game? Because you had a boss game that game. Your numbers were huge. (laughs) Thanks, yeah. <laughs> um, obviously, like, looking at their team and looking at our team, you'd say that the advantage is with our size, right? So I knew coming into that game that I needed to play a big role in the game and I mentioned it many times in the shoot-around and training that we had to pump it inside because we're so much bigger than them and that is our advantage and that's how we could win the game. And so I think after the initial shock of it and everyone getting out there and wanting to win straight away or wanting to get up by so many points and having the shock and the deer in the headlights, I think after halftime is when we really just started to grind it out and get into a rhythm and go to what we knew could work again and again and again. And so, yeah, that was really helpful. And uh, yeah, it was cool to be a part of, but um, especially, you know, that last quarter, I know Leilani was yelling at different points like get in and rebound and like she was really pumped up because obviously everyone knew we had to do this and so it just came to a point when the emotions and the adrenaline just took over and that's when we really like stepped it up a notch and got it done it actually felt like when i was watching it it certainly felt like the first half to the second half it almost felt like it was two completely different teams somebody flicked the switch during halftime and you came out and everything just fell into place. Yeah, that's it. And I think that halftime reset was really useful for us. It took us, you know, a second to go, hey, come on, we've got to pull it together here and do whatever it takes to get it done. 
and um, it starts with you know defensive intensity. We knew that we knew our defense would be key for the whole tournament, and I think once we could get that and get some rebounds and run, that really helped us as well. Yeah, and I saw something in that game that still to this to this day it's like Kayla playing the peacemaker. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, that was such a good point when during because during the Olympics, obviously, Paul and I did parts of the podcast to cover the Opals games, too. And that was such a great point that Paul brought up at the time, because it was like, normally, Kayla's on the other side in the most diplomatic way I could say that. Yeah, because she's a, a strong and aggressive player, which is great and what we need. Um, but yeah. <laughs> And she's a great teammate to have too because great she'll teammate. be by that example but also she'll have your back. So if someone was to come and give you a shove, Tolo, she'd be the first one to pick you up and shove the other Definitely. Person. I can imagine. I could see her eyes in her face that she would be into them. So <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine it right now, exactly what you're talking about. You don't want her um, in your face. <laughs> <laughs> nah, that was a good moment and I think that kind of spurred us on a little bit even more because – we knew that they were being aggressive and they were obviously not going to pack it in. So we had to do it together and protect each other. So, yeah, she was great. She was like, I'm not, I'm really, I'm not trying to attack you. I'm just trying to get my arms out. It was funny. <laughs> and, you know, like Jacinda just mentioned it, your numbers in that game were just amazing. 26 points, 17 rebounds, four assists, a steal and a block. It's like huge numbers. Yeah, I said that after the game. I don't think I've ever got so many rebounds in my life. <laughs> I don't know what it was. But maybe it was all Leilani's yelling <laughs> to get in there and rebound. Real teamwork there, real teamwork. One will yell and motivate and to get the job done and then it's good for the whole team. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> got to do what we need to. So I suppose one of the, the interesting questions for me out of all of that, particularly, again, it comes back to that Puerto Rico game was I was watching the way you guys were really gelling. And to be honest, I thought this is the team's actually found that rhythm and really thought that, hey, this is going to go into the next game as well. And I get, like, it's the US and they came out, like, really, really strong as well. How did you guys find the difference in pace between that last half of the Puerto Rico game and the first half of the US game? I don't know. The US are the best in the world and there's a reason for that, right? Like they're phenomenal athletes. They're really strong. They're really skilled. And so it's hard to play them whenever you whenever you do. I think what hurt us in that game a lot at the start was our fouls, first of all. Um, we got, you know, our bigs in foul trouble and that didn't really help. But then they got a couple of shots. They got going. And then once you have that, patch where they just score a lot of points in a short period of time it's so hard to come back from we managed to do that in our practice game but that game it yeah it was a whole nother level and you couldn't come back from it and that was a tough thing it was the same in the boomers game when you know they had that little patch where durant was just lighting it up and hitting every shot it's really really hard to come back from that so i think it was just at the start of the game, we dug ourselves a hole that was too, too deep. And I think, like I mentioned before, I think our defensive pressure was what let us down a lot of the time. 
we weren't aggressive enough. We weren't on the front foot. We were kind of being passive and letting them dictate what they wanted to do. And we were trying to do our best with that. Um, yeah. But I, I got to say that one of the things that, for me anyway, seemed to carry throughout the whole campaign was regardless of what the result of a particular game was, yeah, you could tell you guys were disappointed after some of the results, but to me it seemed like this is a team that's pretty solid, that Opal's culture seemed to be as strong right throughout. I didn't see, like, you know, when teams aren't doing well, you, sometimes you see that it's breaking down between the players. I didn't see that at all with the Opals. Yeah, definitely. And that's something that we are very proud of in that we stuck together the whole time. We went through a lot in this year and at no point did we start finger pointing at each other. And so that was really important to us to live by that. And just because things aren't going your way doesn't mean you can be um, start to be disrespectful or just you know, throw all, everything out the window. You still want to be the best person and teammate that you can be. And I think we did that really well and it helped the camaraderie in the group. It helped you to deal with those tough losses and, and try and come back from it. You know, I was rooming with Beck Allen, uh, Jenna O'Hay and Katie Ebsery. We'd come back after games and we'd, we'd come back at 12.30 at night and we'd sit up watching the game and talking about the game until 2.30, 3am in the morning. And it was moments like that that made it really special because we're all on the same page. We wanted this thing together and we knew that we had to do it together. Yeah, you could definitely tell, um, like Paul said, usually teams start to crumble, cracks start to show in times of adversity. So it was really, really nice to see you guys bond even more, I guess, through the highs and the lows. And I'm glad you're really proud of that because as supporters, we're really proud to see that as well. And I think that, you know, if you think about when you and I were growing up playing, watching the Opals, that's the stuff that would really rub off on you. So I'm sure that that kind of camaraderie and support from each other is setting a good example for the next generation and little kids who are maybe just watching basketball for the first time. But I wanted to also ask that the Opals, you know, like Paul said, have such a strong culture and and the Boomers and the Opals have such a great legacy. So what does that Opals legacy mean to you? The Opals legacy is so, so special, Um, not just because of the success that, has been there it's the way that um it has happened like Australians are really underdogs in some sense because there's not a huge population in Australia compared to a lot of other countries yeah Um, definitely and so we we punch above our weight for sure and I think Opal's identity for so long has been one of toughness one of resilience one of um you know being really strong defensively and playing together. I think when teams play us, they know that that's kind of what we're about and what we want to portray and how we want to play. And And I know that teams would not want to come up against us because we have so many different good qualities and it makes it so hard to play. And that has come through all the generations and has been laid by the people that have come before us, the people that had to catch a boat to the world championship and took three months to get there and shot in a little basket a washing basket as a hoop you know and had to do that for practice it's never been something that's been easy for Australians but we have the toughness and the resilience to be able to do it on the world stage 
And I suppose talking legacy, uh, Jacinta and I were talking before the interview. She got something that she wanted to ask about the bodysuit. Oh, look, me, love the bodysuit. I've had a lot of people ask me why the Opals decided to wear the bodysuits again. And my initial response was, well, why not? (laughs) (laughs) But I, I do know that the players were asking for it for a while. Is that right? Yeah, that is right. And there were a number of different reasons why we were asking it. One is because we all saw the Opals in the bodysuits and that's the image that we all imagined and dreamed of when we were younger and the the legacy of the Opals and all the success that they've had that was in the bodysuit. So that's part of the reason as well as, two, it's great because referees can see if people are trying to hang on to your jerseys. They can't do that anymore when <laughs> you've got the bodysuit on. And they can actually be quite comfortable if you're like, got the right fit <laughs> it actually feels like you're kind of running around there nude so <laughs> um it, it's good and you know I was fortunate when I was growing up we played in bodysuits for Mackay and also Queensland and then um my junior national team we did but some of these girls wore bodysuits for the first time I'm not really sure what they thought of it or whether they'll want it again but I think it's something that will come to a decision for the next event and whether, yeah, we want them back in, it'll be the player's decision again. But, yeah, it is that. I'm glad you made that point because I also read a previous article where you asked about the bodysuits and just making a point that the bodysuits and it's particularly that design with the black shorts and then the, the colours in the, the green and gold in the V is like the perfect symbol of the opals and everything that it represents, like you just said, about resilience and toughness. And you can make the, like, for me, when I was um, 16's Nationals for New South Wales Country, <laughs> suits represent. Yes. Um, yeah. And for me, that was, like, such an honour, obviously, to make your first state team. But when you get the bodysuit, that is just the pinnacle of your representative experience. Whether exactly. Exactly. And that's that's what it was for us. Like, that's what we dreamt of. That's who we wanted to be. It also gives you a lot of motivation to be in shape because, you know, you're going to be wearing something that's skin tight. So if you ever need a bit of extra motivation, you just got to think, oh, I'm going to be wearing the bodysuit. <laughs> Better skip that chocolate. <laughs> I don't know if you got a, had a chance to scan through any social media at the time, but Tully, Tully Bevelacqua, did you see? She was she was in her bodysuit as well. It was the best. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good. And running around the, a living room with the flag, it was so special. Yeah. I love seeing that after the game. It just um, lit up my night, definitely. I also had a, a friend at home, Cam Crombie, who's a um, para-athlete, and he... I <laughs> sent a photo of him with his daughter and, and he was wearing my bodysuit that <laughs> my partner had at home. So that made me laugh, definitely. I was going to ask how he got access to your bodysuit because I, I imagined that he was going to be wearing Carly's bodysuit, not yours. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't know um, whether Carly has any in Canberra, but, yeah, Dan brought some around and because Cam was a role before, he was like, oh, it's just like a rowing suit. Yep, I'll wear that. Put it straight yeah. on. No questions yeah. asked. That's true. Oh, that's hilarious. Uh, a couple of days before Tully tweeted that footage of her running around in the living room, she made a joke about, oh, I could, you know, something about bodysuits and her wearing one and I tweeted back saying you could still fit in yours Tali what are you you know about and uh, you know I hope of course you could yeah I hope they 
gave her a little bit. She was just hanging out for the chance. (laughs) (laughs) Just needed someone to push her on Twitter. (laughs) Exactly. Look, something else I wanted to ask you about was you had a long distance to travel between the village to the, the stadium back again. Did you guys try to unplug on the way back after a game? What did you do to just get your head out of the game? It was great, actually, because we had DJ Kayla and Sarah in the back and they had um, they had a speaker <laughs> in the back and they were pumping all sorts of tunes. Started off with a bit of uh, rap R&B, but then kind of got a bit more rock and then got a bit more Aussie, which was cool, um, and sing-alongs were great. And I think the staff were happy when it started going that way. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, that was really good actually that they did that because it was a long hour to the game there and back. And so the first couple of nights, the second game and the third game actually, we were playing at uh, what, 9 p.m. So it was a long day to try and stay awake all day for the game. And that's an opportunity where you might normally nap in the car <laughs> and you don't want to be doing that before a game. So just having the music there um, on speaker and then different players had their headphones in listening to their game prep if they have it, some of them. So, yeah, we all had different routines and an hour trip isn't ideal, but I think DJ Kayla and, and Sarah did a great job of pumping the tunes. <laughs> some things never die. That takes me back to 16's Nationals as well, having the speaker in the bus. <laughs> Definitely. I can remember many songs from Nationals like that. Oh, yeah, we went once went on an uh, ITC tour 2003 to America and uh, You're the Voice was definitely a big bus favourite and also a song from Australian Idol because it was the first season of Australian Idol mm. that year. Those random things stick with you forever when you play a team sport. Yeah, we definitely had uh, You're the Voice. That was pumped quite a bit and we even had a bit of Nicky Webster. Oh, my gosh, <laughs> Uh, my happiness from Powderfinger, the girls are laughing at me, I get excited and that would come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll have to remember that for Worlds. If we know that you need pumping up, we can bring it our own speaker and play. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and I guess there was a lot going on back at the village as well with with the team together and, and sort of trying to keep each other up because you were pretty much locked into the team surrounds, weren't you? Yeah, it was, um, you know, we could just be in the Australian building basically and that's it between dining hall and there was a little shop area. But we, yeah, stuck to the, the Team Australia building, which kind of ended up really cool in the end because it formed this cool atmosphere that where everyone was really supportive and cheering each other on and really looking out for all the different sports. There was an area downstairs in the entrance of the building where there was a cafe set up and then two TVs and some fold-out chairs that everyone would just go and chill and watch sports on. And so that actually created a lot of atmosphere where people would come down and really get behind each other. And whenever there was like a final or a uh, medal-winning race or, or event on, we'd all go down there and watch. And it was really, really cool. And there'd always be, you know, some of us playing games. Sequence was a good board game that we brought and it was a big hit for us there was always someone playing that downstairs and sitting out in the sun and reading a book and you know we everyone has their own strategies to relax and prepare and that sort of thing so we're all conscious of that but I think most of us are looking out for each other and keeping each other company a lot of the time for sure. 
Yeah, I didn't realise. I understood that, um, yeah, the village would be a little bit more restricted than past Olympics because I remember going to the London Olympics and just in the daytime seeing athletes roaming around different parts of London to try and be a tourist while they were being an athlete. But, yeah, you guys didn't get that opportunity, but I didn't realise that also you were restricted by country. So what were some of the things that Japan tried to do to, like, enrich your environments to try and make them as, I guess, fulfilling as possible to compensate for that lack of contact with the outside world? There wasn't really a lot they could do because only volunteers were allowed at events as well. So the one cool thing that was every practice um, that we had, there'd be like a line of Japanese people and they'd have little signs like, we love you, Australia, and they'd be clapping and it was just on the way to practice. And so that was really cool and special <laughs> just to have a bit of like joy in in their lives and our lives as well. So that was really nice. But yeah, other than that, it was just basically Team Australia and they did the AOC did a great job of decorating the building. They had an area that was essentially a pantry set up downstairs and you could do a click and collect order basically. Uh, we'd order breakfast items and up and goes and, you know, spreads and that sort of thing. You could go down and pick it up and have it in your room so then you didn't have to go to dining hall. So every day I'd have breakfast in my room. And that had like little uh, performance hubs and meeting rooms and uh, chill areas. So that was really good. And that kind of made it feel more comfortable and like a environment that we wanted to be in. So what was the funniest thing that you saw in the Olympic Village that you can talk about, obviously? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Gosh, I'm trying to think. What did I see in the village? (laughs) So I was sitting down in the chill area one day and there was always people running around, like literally running around the whole village and stuff for exercise, whether it's athletes or staff or whoever. And I saw this older guy running one day and out of the corner of the eye, I looked at him and he was running and he tripped and fell and did a whole roll and then got up and was holding his shoulder and then kind of ran off. And I, I was the only one that saw him. So, And he never I saw you, but I'm sure he wouldn't have even known. Look, just to close out the discussion around the, the Olympics, going forward, how do you think that this Olympics experience is going to help the Opals as they go forward towards Worlds next year? Um. Yeah, that's tough. It's hard. There's a lot that we can learn from losses, obviously. (laughs) And I think we can't really like wait. We have to be ready from the start and be really aggressive from the start. That's the biggest lesson that I think. Our defense needs to be aggressive. We need to be roaring and ready to go and on the same page and looking for those little connections and situations and practicing that just before so that we're all clear on the same page and ready to go. And the Opals as a whole, from its inception, has had a very good record on the international stage. But sometimes in the longevity of a club or a national team, you have to have those stumbles in order to evolve, I suppose. But having said that, like we mentioned before, your squad had to handle a lot of adversities in a short period of time. But is there going to be an announcement about the World Championship squad sooner rather than later in preparation for the Worlds? I believe so. I believe that'll happen um, within the next week or so. 
Wow. And yeah, so it's got to happen quickly because we have Asia Cup in September in Jordan. So things have got to start happening as much as we've already qualified as we're at the home nation. It's about getting our place and our, our ranking so that we get the best draw possible. But things are really going to happen quickly and we've got to learn our lessons and, and be ready to move on. That's for sure. Yeah, soak up that prep time like we were talking about before. And look, if you need people to podcast on the ground in Jordan, uh, <laughs> yeah. make yeah, us yeah. available. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put in a good word for you. <laughs> oh, thank you, Tolo. Awesome. Yeah, I pronounce everyone's names correctly too. <laughs> Big tick. Yeah, actually, we, we were talking after one of the games. We're actually saying, you know, the, the cap should actually turn around and get, you know, a range of Tulo singlets done right i'm there you definitely get one of those <laughs> oh no too low yeah. there you go next range so, every once in a while jacinta hasn't come across this but when i've been interviewing people in the past every once in a while we just ask a totally off the wall question to see what sort of answer we get and this is one that we've done before if you had to pick one movie character that you would most associate with, who would it be? Oh, damn. If it was a TV show, it would be Kramer off Seinfeld because he's a bit of a <laughs> But Hey, that works. TV works. <laughs> you like to heat up your underwear in a pizza oven as well. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. We'll go with that one. That one's good. I like that. (laughs) I'm glad that you both understood my deep cut Kramer reference as well. (laughs) I won't have a look as brown as what Kramer did after Solarium, but (laughs) no, but he's a goofball, so. (laughs) So tell me something. When are you heading over to France? So I have my two weeks here in quarantine and then after I get home to Canberra, I'll have two weeks to pack up my stuff and then go. So September 5, got my flight ready to go over to France. How exciting. That's a reasonably quick turnaround. Yeah, it is. I kind of, I tried to pack up everything a bit before I left. So I've got most things ready to go, which is good. I just have to do last minute finishes and get everything ready. Put Dan to work. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I gave him a list before I left. We'll see how much he's done. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, I'd like to say thanks, Tolo, for joining us on the show. My co-host, Jacinta, thanks very much. And we'll be keeping an eye on, on your time in France as best we can. Looking forward to what happens with the Opals as well. And look, honestly, certainly from my point of view, I think you guys really did a fantastic job given everything that had happened in the run-up to the Games. Thank you. Thanks, and I appreciate it. And, like, we really all felt all the support that everyone was giving us, so we can't thank you enough because it's easy to kind of see where the Opals had come from and the success they had and then to go that this wasn't a good result, but for the way that everyone, you know, supported us and, and saw that we stuck together and fought as hard as we could, we really, really appreciate it, and it means the world to us. And it helps us get through that time a lot better because it is really hard. So thank you so much, Jacinta and Paul, definitely for having me on. It's been great talking to you guys and for your support of women's sport. It's been really, really awesome and I really appreciate it. And I'm sure all of the Opals do as well. 
No, Great. no worries. We're very proud of you and I'm very grateful to be a part of this too. So, yeah, thanks so much for letting me join in. Yeah, no, <laughs> thanks very much and good luck in France. Thank you. Thank you very much. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.